beautiful day. Already the month of March is upon us, and it just seemed like it was just a little bit ago, uh, you know, we were starting a new year, and now we're already two months into it and moving into our third. And so, you know, we want to invite you right now to be close to us. I know we all come from different backgrounds with different issues in our heart. Some of us have things facing us on Monday that honestly we're not looking forward to. Others of us are finding ourselves immersed in something that is just uh, very challenging at this time in our lives. And, and, you know, wherever we are, Lord, some of us are having a great season. That's a good thing, and, and let it last as long as it can. But wherever we are, I ask that you would help us to have ears to, that are open towards you. Let our heart be sensitive. If we made the effort to come to your house, then let us also make the effort to worship you with our minds and engage you and to listen well at a spirit level. And we ask for your grace to fill this house in Jesus' name. Amen. Let it be, Lord. All right, verse number one, John 13. Stubborn hearts, dirty feet. That's the message. We'll see why. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart, we talked about the Passover last week. We talked about the significance of the hour. And we mentioned how... Jesus would depart, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved, we're told, his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. That is, he was committed to his disciples all the way through this entire final time in which he was now heading for the cross. I mean, clearly, already there were things in motion. The traitor, Judas, had already betrayed the Lord. Negotiations had been made. Uh, Jesus was going to be betrayed that evening and arrested in the garden. He knew that where that would also take him, he understood the cross. That's where he had been going and heading to for a long time. He understood the significance of it at a level that nobody else could ever really appreciate nor understand. He was at this time in his life about 33 and a half years old, clearly in the prime of his manhood, at youthful vigor still his. Uh, his ministry had lasted publicly for about three and a half years. During that time, he had raised up a band of followers, a group of people who had attached themselves to him in different degrees of commitment. It was a group of 120, another group of about 70 of them were even more so uh, in terms of their commitment level. And then there was a group of 12 who had lift, left everything to follow him, 12 men that he had lived with and ate with and drank with and slept with and interacted with and talked with and walked with on the roads for these three, they were his apprentices, they were his disciples, his followers, and he had invested into them deeply, and his love was committed to their, to their being nurtured all the way through this whole process, so though, even though in his mind he knows that these are his final hours before the cross, there's a part of him, no doubt, that is thinking ahead, part of him is looking backwards, but his attention is fixed on his disciples because he has things he wants to say to them, but the problem is they were not in a good place. One of the things that we know is that they had been very divided at this time. 
It's amazing how it happens. There was, according to um, Luke already, arguments going on about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom when Jesus sat it up, who was going to get what position in the cabinet when he set it all in place. And there's a lot of this going on. There was, why does Jesus play favorites with this person? Why does he give more attention to that one? It was stuff going on. It was a very fractured environment. And then what's more, we know this in verse 2, that, that there was already something that was happening in the heart of Judas. In verse 2, we're told that the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. So on top of all the other kind of divisiveness, the fractured uh, unity, the disunity that was in the room, uh, you know, it was very, some, on a natural, from a natural perspective, it was a little discouraging to have invested that much time and that much energy and that much of his heart into these men. And now at the time when they maybe were most needed to be on their game, to see them so upset with one another, arguing, uh, this, even this moment, which was the Passover, a special time to draw them together in unity. Uh, this was going to be the last Passover, the last supper, the final one they would share together in this way. And instead of, instead of being able to enjoy and celebrate the moment, they were, they were upset and fighting. And so ha this happy moment was being disturbed like all happy moments get disturbed when there's petty selfishness that is dominating. And this was going on. And so this is, this is what's happening here. And, and so on top of all of that, you've got Judas. And he, one of Jesus' own is already in the process of betraying him. Jesus is aware of it. He knows what's happening. He's still, by the way, one of the real amazing subplots of this, this chapter, this moment, this, this, these hours together, is to see Jesus continually reaching out to Judas. There, are, there is constantly little attempts made to reach him, even though he's already moving along. It almost, it almost looks like there's still, and we don't really know. When it comes to Judas, it's hard to tell at what level free will is being exercised in relation to the invasion of his heart by the evil one. We really can't tell that there's... So it's, People have speculated on that and, and thought about it. But one thing that's pretty clear, Jesus is still reaching for Judas. And it's not until Judas basically turns himself completely away, flings the door of mercy back in the face of Jesus, and leaves into the night doing what he is going to do, making up his mind, determined by his choice and volition to turn away from the appeal, that that moment is really confirmed. And so this is all going on in the room. What's more, we know that something else. Remember we talked about, and again, I'm just going to briefly mention this. But the fact is that, you know, who knows when that, that tension was uh, sort of, how, what am I trying to say? The conversation that was taking place between them all was probably inflamed when they walked up the stairs into the upper room where the Passover feast had been prepared by Peter and John, who Jesus had sent ahead to prepare it. Because remember we talked about how they went into that tape, that there was a, not, this, the, the, the table was not like the long table that we see in the traditional sort of European, classical European portrayals of the Last Supper, um, where it was this long table, everybody seated in chairs, Jesus in the middle, and then the rest of them are on the sides. We talked about how it was probably a table about this high. And they would have not been sitting in large chairs. They would have been reclining on what were known as couches or essentially mats with pillows on them. They would have been leaning on their left hand, eating with their right we talked about how every place meant something. Sort of like today when you go to a, a, a place, there are certain seats that are reserved. 
they understood it. In fact, a lot of the New Testament in, in the Gospels, you'll see Jesus engaged with the Pharisees. And a lot of times what will come up is who sits where and how that meant something. And Jesus was always saying, you're too worried about who's sitting where. But his disciples seemed to be worried about who was sitting where. We know that Jesus was probably, that was, was probably sitting in the middle. He was either sitting in the middle of the U, because it would have been a U-shaped with one, two, three, probably four, five, six. So five this way, five this way, three this way in a U-shape at a low level with different sort of couches, reclining places. Their feet, by the way, would have been in the back. So who was sitting where? Well, even though we're not told specifically, we have a pretty good idea of who was sitting to Jesus' right, which was traditionally the, the seat of the preferred seat or the one closest to the host in this regard. And that was most likely John. John, interestingly enough, tends to be the one who's closest to the Lord. He's also the one that is there at the cross with, with the other women who had stayed. John alone sort of stays and remains and, and was watching from afar while the others were dispersed. He seemed, he was the youngest. They, they think John was the youngest. He ends up becoming, he, we also know a little bit about his story. He's, the, he's got a bad temper. He and his brother are known for having a temper. They're called the sons of thunder. Later on he becomes, and isn't this the way the Lord does things, he becomes the apostle of love, from the son of thunder to the apostle of love. He, he is so in tune with the heart of Jesus, more than the rest, it seems. He gets things more quickly. He's also close to Peter. They, they were sent together a lot. And um, they couldn't have been more opposite, though, in some ways. They were compliments. Jesus put them together. He would have his disciples go by, too, not alone. There's wisdom there, too. But anyway, John most likely was sitting on the right-hand side. There's a reason for it. We'll see it in a couple weeks. But who was on the left? The other seat of honor. It's, it seems that it was Judas, the treasurer. He was the keeper of the money bag also. And he was the one that most likely was on the left of Jesus. And there, Because there are little conversations that occur that everybody else was not privy to, but there was things happening. So anyway, they walk into the room. Who's sitting where? This is a big deal. Um, they're still probably this inflamed, the fact that, well, why does he get to sit there? Why is he in a position of, you know, what's this? The little conversations are breaking out. This mood, mood is not unified. It's, uh, it's, like I said, it's fractured. There's offense, rivalry, competition, stuff's there. And it's just not conducive to having sacred discourse and on top of that, you know, when they walked in the room, remember we talked about how people in those days did not wear shoes like we do. They would more wear a sandal, and then it was more like a piece of leather with a strap over it. And so you would walk around the streets, which were not well paved, frequently dirt. And by the time you came into a, a gathering, your feet were just really a mess. And so typically when you would come to a gathering and do a feast like this or do a house like this where you were going to have a meal together in this way, typically if there was an owner that, or a person who was hosting it, they would have a servant waiting for you at the door. That servant would wash the feet of the guests that came in as a, as a, a courtesy, as hospitality, but also because it made it better for everybody. Um, <laughs> the whole experience was improved when the feet were washed. And so it was expected and understood that that's what happened. And when you went to someone's house for a gathering like this, there would be a servant or two to wash the feet. Well, Peter and John had been sent ahead. This, this house, this room, this room was just being used. The owner wasn't there. There were no servants to attend to the needs. So 
when Jesus and the disciples walk in, it, two things. Everybody seemed to understand that that was the way it was. There were no servants, and they were okay with that. And then secondly, nobody felt compelled to become the servant and to take the place of the person. Uh, they were okay with their feet not being washed, and it seemed like that was how it was, and everybody was there. So again, just think about what the, it's looking like. Remember, they're not sitting upright. They're leaning down. Uh, their feet are behind them. Jesus is there. He's listening to what is happening. He has things he wants to say, but there's a lot of stuff happening, and he wants to address it, and so he gives them a lesson. Only recorded here in John's gospel, nowhere else. He does something that catches them off guard. They weren't expecting it. We're told here that Jesus, look at the verse. It says here in verse 5 that, or 4, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. In other words, somehow in the middle of all this discussion, remember, it would probably have been a darker room and so people initially did not know what Jesus was doing. They're probably caught up in their own discussion. He's listening to what's going on. He himself, and remember, people are reclining and talking, and, and he is not, not happy with what's happening here. And he gets up, and he, they probably don't even notice it. It's not like he makes this big show. He very discreetly gets the basin. He takes his cloth down, and, and, he, and again, they wouldn't have seen it because they were, the feet were laying behind you. Again, you're leaning on your left hand. You're eating very casually. You have cushions, obviously, but you're leaning very casually, and you're just enjoying it, and you're talking, and there's different groups talking, and so on. All of a sudden, but remember where your feet are. Your feet are behind you. Now, for a moment, let's just assume that our feet, <laughs> this is behind me, right? And so um, we think Peter didn't, obviously, we don't know for sure who was the first disciple that Jesus came to, but most people believe it was Peter. And let's just say that when it begins, Peter, again, is thinking, you know, <laughs> What are you doing? You, what are you doing, Lord? You, you're washing my feet? You're not going to wash my feet. You're not washing my feet. I see Peter caught off guard. Everybody's caught off guard, but he's starting to wash his feet. And Peter says, don't do that. <laughs> you don't wash my feet. You're the master. You don't wash my feet. And this starts a conversation. Because you see, why, why does Peter react so much against Jesus washing his feet? He's bothered by it. He think about it. He's, he's telling Jesus what to do. You don't wash my feet. Are you washing my feet? Are you you're not washing my feet. <laughs> no, you're not washing those feet. Because in Peter's world, things had an order. See, there were... There was an order to things. Servants washed feet. They're on the bottom. Then there were the great ones. And in Peter's eyes, there was nobody greater than Jesus. <laughs> no, you're not going to wash my feet, Lord. I don't know what you're up to here, but no. And Jesus very gently at first says, and you can see it, he says, now come on, and it's a beautiful verse, often missed, run right past. We don't appreciate it when we read it frequently, but Jesus answers and says to him something that is so profound. He says, what I am doing, you do not know, but you will know later. In other words, in other words Peter, I know this doesn't fit how you see things, 
and it's almost like he's saying, and sometimes I will do things that don't make sense to you, and like this. But you know what? You just need to let me wash your feet. Okay? Even though it doesn't make sense to you, just, just do it. Just submit to this. And you're thinking, oh, yeah. Okay. Go ahead and wash the feet for me. Peter says, I don't care what you say. And the word is strong. You will never, and never, ever wash my feet. Oh, I can't say it any more clear than that. You will never wash my feet. I'll wash your feet any day, but you will not wash mine. Not in this place. Not now. You are not a servant. You are, the, you are our leader. You are my, my Lord. You do not wash feet. I'll wash yours. You won't. Think about it. It's strong. It's you will never. Never. Then Jesus, now by that point, everybody's looking at what's going on. Whoa. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, never. Uh, if you don't let me wash your feet, you and I are finished. That's a pretty strong statement. If you don't let me wash your feet, you and I are finished. We are, this relationship is over. It's like, what are you talking about? In other words, why, Peter? You don't want to know why? It's like Peter, Jesus comes, Jesus lays down a car, let me wash your feet. Peter says, no. Jesus says, come on now, Peter, just work with me here. Let me serve you. Peter says, you'll never, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus says, oh, yeah? All right. If I don't wash your feet, we got no relationship. You know why? Because there will be, if, there will be things that you will not understand that I want to do in your life. And if you, no matter what your ra- reason is, even if it's out of loyalty, and in his way, it was a loyal heart that was resisting. It doesn't matter what it is, Lord. He says, basically, the Lord says, it's going to take you down a path that is going to lead you away from me. If the condition of your submission is you understanding what I'm doing and signing off on it, then we don't have a relationship. Not the way it needs to be. Because there are going to be so many things happening that you're not going to ag- get, agree with, or understand in the big picture. You may later, but not now. You can't say, here's the condition to me submitting. You've got to do this. So way more going on. It doesn't matter if it's loyal, stubborn love. Jesus, do you understand what I'm saying? See, Jesus is escalating because it's so much more. If, we, if you do not, listen to me, if you do not let me wash your feet, then this relationship that we have as my, you are my disciple, but it is over. And Peter, you see him. What's he going to do? Everybody's wondering. Well, he's stuck because he loves him. That's why he doesn't want him washing his feet. But if I don't let him, he won't have me. All right, wash my feet. Then wash my hands, wash my head, wash all of me. No, I, I won't be necessary. I just want to wash your feet. That's all. <laughs> I really, that's all I'm asking. I didn't forget the other stuff. I just wash your feet. Look, you bathed when you came in. It's a great moment. You know, Peter, everything, wash all of me. He says, no, I just want to wash your feet. And if you'll let me do that, because look, you came in here, you bathed before you came. Look at the verse. You bathed before you came. 
physical. He says, all, all of you, I just want to wash, I want to wash your feet, physical. And then he says, and then Jesus shifts the metaphor in the middle of this lesson. He turns it around and he says, but not all of you are clean. Not all of you are clean. That's spiritual, that's relational, that's Judas. And verse 11 says, look, says that he's talking about Judas. He knows who's already going to betray him. So what are we to draw from this? Back to verse 7 and look at it as we see this point. Because here's the thing. A lot of things in this life, listen, are not going to make sense to us. But they will someday. And this is a very important, I guess, significant truth for us to appreciate. Because it's a hard word. Because a lot of times, if I can capture it this way, a lot of times we want answers. We want solutions. We want God to solve this thing. We want things to make sense to us. We, we demand to know why. We want to know why. You've got to explain yourself. You've got to make it clear. I don't want to do this. And I'm going to say that, that it's not always fair. Things don't always right. There's a lot of pain and disappointment in life. And a lot of times where dreams that we are pursuing aren't coming to pass or doors that we're wanting open and thinking are opening, and all of a sudden they get shut in our face and we're saying, what's going on, God? Or someone who we love leaves us way too soon. Or prayers that we've been giving to the Lord, they're not being answered. Why is that prayer being answered? My prayer is not being, I don't understand. It's not right. I don't understand. And it's like the Lord is saying, can you in that place where it doesn't make sense to you, trust me with what doesn't work? Will you submit? Will you walk with me when it doesn't fit what you think it's supposed to be. And I'll tell you a lot of times, you notice, there's another, you, some of us may have noticed that and you didn't even look, say, ah, oh, they put a little picture in there. There's a reason why, because you know why? I think that's us. What is going on in that little picture right there? I see this rendering of Peter, it's great. Like, oh, I'll do it, but I don't like it at all. It's submission, but you can see his eyebrows are furrowed, his lips are pierced, his hands are crossed, and he's got his water, but it's killing him, but I'm doing it. But I don't want you washing my feet, but I have to have you wash my feet, and you're going to wash them, but I don't like it. <laughs> and that's how we are sometimes. I'll do it, God, but I don't like it. And I think we need to guard against, there's a second idea, we need to guard against both a stubborn pride and an over-exaggerated obedience. Peter's a pendulum. <clears throat> One moment, and boy, he's, he's always impetuous, never tongue-tied. This guy, he's something else. He's so much like us, and we connect with him because even when he fails, he fails fabulously. <laughs> and he's... He's there, but he's real. He's honest. He's a true, a true man in his heart. He's a real, and his love is real. It's raw. It gets him in trouble, but the part of his personality, and Jesus says, I'm going to build on you, but he's not anywhere close to being built on or buildable or having things built on him. He's too unstable. He fluctuates. Think about it. Look at this. On one hand, he's over here going, you'll never do it. You'll never. I mean, he's, he's confronting Jesus telling him what he can't do. And then when the Lord finally says, after his gentle appeal, 
lets them know that if you don't do this, we don't have anything. Then he all of a sudden swings over to the other side and he's going to wash everything about, do everything. It's like a reminder. There are some see the thing. It's it's dangerous to either try to outrun Jesus or to lag behind him. There's always that temptation. Well, now I'm talking to those of us who would follow the Lord to get ahead of the Lord in our zeal, to go overboard to a point where we feel something from the Lord, where we want to respond, and so we just start running. And all of a sudden, we're looking back and saying, hurry up, Lord! You know, we got to go! And Jesus is saying, we're going that way, not this way. And we are running because we're passionate, we're Peter Wash all of me, my head, my hands, my feet. I don't want, no, no, just calm down. All I asked for you was just to let me do what I want to do. And in your life, if you can think of it that way, a lot of times, then there are other times when we're stubborn, we're holding back, we're, we're not going where the Lord wants us to go. We're reluctant. It's like we're lagging behind. And he's saying, come on, come on. And we're going, I want to go, I want to go, but I, gotta t- I, I don't want to let go of this, or I, I'm not ready yet, or... There's a part of me that's not sure if I want to do it yet. And, and there's that part of us, oh, no, I don't want you doing this. And I don't want to do that. I don't want, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't want you washing my feet. No. Last thing. We have to be willing, three, to let the Lord wash our feet. Now, in its most truest sense, if you think about this, and I was looking at it, I was going, Wow. I mean, if you get down to it, the Christian life is all about being willing to let the Savior wash our feet, as it were. That is, it's about embracing Jesus in his humility. Easter season, the cross, is all about embracing him in his brokenness and in his humiliation. It's a shameful thing. It's like saying, we will embrace you in the scandal. That's why it was a stumbling block to a lot of people. What are you talking about a Savior who died on a cross? Only criminals die on a cross. What kind of Savior is this? This is, you have to be willing to embrace, let me wash your feet. You have to come down low. You have to let me do this. It's not about, think about it, Christian life, it's not about it always making, it makes sense. Why? Why a cross? What's going on here? It's too simple. It's too, you know, blood and ugly. Why? Why God? I, let me wash your feet. Let me wash them. But it doesn't make sense. I, I didn't say it needed to make sense. I said, let me do it. Will you yield to this? Will you do this? Will you submit to this? Will you let me? Will you receive what I want to give? Let me serve you. It's the suffering servant. Uh, this is nothing we can earn. It's nothing that we can ever be good enough to receive. It's about grace. For by grace, the scripture says, we have been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any one of us should boast. It's, it's not about me saying, Lord, in fact, that's because you know why a lot of times in this life, we're going to feel unworthy of the Lord washing our feet. And we've got to be okay with the Lord. Uh, and there have been times where I've said, wanted to say, Lord, you can't wash my feet because I'm not good enough for you to wash my feet. I have failed you. I got too much of a mess. Do not, I can, I'm okay wash, letting you wash my feet when I've been doing well. But when I've been doing maybe that's the time we need most to let the Lord love us. Let him sing over us. Peter's saying, you know, wash my feet. He's saying, I got to. 
I'm not afraid of dirty feet. You need to let me do this. But Lord, see, we're going to say, there are t- I'm going to say, even if it doesn't always apply, there are going to be times where we're going to feel really like we're not worthy of God's love. And we need to let him, in those moments, wash us. There's something about even the idea of washing that I think of when I think of the washing, I think of baptism, I think of the water, I think of cleansing. We had a water baptism last week. People were baptized. I think of the foot washing in a way. It's kind of like a cleansing. There's a, there's a renewing. There's a washing. There's a new beginning. And, you know, the Lord wants to continually wash us. And it's not about me being good enough to deserve a foot washing from him. It's about us being open to letting him serve us. Say, well, I don't deserve it. That's not the point. That is the point. We never will. He wants to wash our feet. He wants to sing over us. And in turn, okay, and so Lord, how do I say thank you enough? How do we, how do we respond to that? Lord, as we're here thinking about what we've shared, you know what? We can never be good enough to earn your love It's called grace, and that's because it's a gift. All we can do is be open to it. But Lord, even though, Lord, we can never earn that love, help us to live as though we are loved. Help us to contend for growth, to contend to address areas of our lives that you're trying to get our attention on, Lord, that you're trying to develop in us. We look at Peter, Lord, there was an underdeveloped part of who he was that you were trying to get at so that you could entrust him with something as the years would go by, that he could become something of that rock. And maybe a part of it had to do with him letting you minister to him to get him past some things, Lord. And maybe some of us, we need to be open to what you're trying to do in our lives, Lord. And maybe there's stuff hanging on from our past or habits we've gotten ourselves into and is really holding us back, Lord. And honestly, we don't feel that great about it, and we don't really even want you washing our feet, Lord. And yet you're saying, let me do it. Let me do it. Let me sing over you. Let me sing over you my song. Let me, let me call and speak into you things. Never forget it. And Lord, I, we want to invite you to work in our lives with all of its good and with all of its bad. All of its, <laughs> the times when we've done right and the times when maybe the times we've done the worst is when we need you the most. I'm, I think it is. I just pray that we'll remember what a Savior we have. So bless this closing minutes here, Lord. Bless this song, which is really, uh, it's just like a prayer to you. It's a prayer over this word. Sweet Jesus, our friend, cover us, work in us, delight in us. Help us to let you serve us. Wow. I ask that in your name, Lord. Bless this closing song. Bless our time of giving as we honor you as a church, as a people committed. We ask this in your name, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord. Amen.